Welcome to Choir Talks. My name is Greg O'Neill. I'm the worship pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Madison, Mississippi. Choir Talks is a podcast version of a talk that I would give to my choir on Wednesday nights here at church. Normally, I just share with them a scripture that has meant something to me during the week. So thanks for joining us. This week, we'll be looking at the scripture, which is Psalm 24, a great psalm, probably written about 3,000 years ago. It starts this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This psalm writer or songwriter starts with this broad view of who God is by looking at creation at all the world and says, everything that I see, everything I've ever known belongs to the Lord, including everyone who lives here and all of the animals and everything, including everything, right? All of the weather, all of the, the minerals and wealth within the earth, the growth that happens and harvest and everything is his. And he gives us the why in the next verse. In his verse, he says, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So the why is he's the creator. He is the author of everything in this world. And so everything belongs to him. He is the Lord of it all. He is the owner of it all. That's an important way to think about God and to think about this world. Sometimes we marvel at the creation of man and all the culture around us that stems from ourselves. And yet, bigger picture, everything here on this earth belongs to the Lord because it was created by him. Here's, here's the important section of this song to me. Verse 3 begins, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? So in light of the fact that God is great and he owns everything, the uh, author of this song asks this really important question. Then, then who can know God? Who can come before him? Because he is so great, what could a mere mortal do to come before God? He says, who may ascend to the mountain? Of course, in his day, Jerusalem is the center of his spiritual world, and Jerusalem is built on a mountain. So he's probably referring to the mountain, and at the top of that mountain is, is the tabernacle, the area where they worship God and the area where they expect God's presence to be. Um, the mountain here probably also could refer just um, in a more less literal way, could just refer to the fact that God is elevated and exalted over all of creation. And uh, so he says, who could come up to the place where God is? Who could stand in his holy place? Now, holy place there specifically probably refers to inside of that tabernacle in the place called the Holy of Holies, where the manifest presence of God was. And uh, he says, who could go and, and stand in that place? That we know this about the Holy of Holies, that only one person and only once a year could enter into that Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And they uh, tied a rope to him so that they could pull him out just in case the powerful presence of God overwhelmed him, and he died while he was in that presence. So this psalm writer sees this great exalted God, and he says, who can, who can come before him? Who can go into his place? And then he gives us the answer in verse 4. He says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands meaning um, the person who doesn't have outward sin, the type of sin that would be an action or 
uh, or word or something that could be committed that would be seen by other people. Uh, so the person who has not done that is not doing that. The person who has clean hands, he says, could come before God or and the person who has a pure heart. Now we're talking about inward sin. So it's not only the acts that I would commit outside of myself, but also the attitudes that are in my heart um, that are not seen by others. Uh, attitude of pride or envy or greed or selfishness. Those inward sins that are very real, even though not seen. So he says, who can come before the Lord and have standing to come into his presence? The person who has clean hands and a pure heart. I think that's an important thought for us as believers, for us as worshipers. How should we approach this holy God? God is holy, so he is completely set apart from sin. So those of us who worship him should set sin a part of our lives so that we can come into his presence. Now, I want to be clear that none of us is worthy to come before him because none of us can be without sin. Uh, in fact, None of us can do away with our own sin. The Bible's very clear on that. As a for, an, for instance, in the, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, By grace you are saved, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We can't deal with sin through our own efforts, and yet we must deal with sin in our lives. We shouldn't expect to genuinely approach God and come before him if we have sin in our heart, if we're not willing to deal with our sin, so how do we do that? Um, Romans uh, chapter 6 says that, that we need to count ourselves as dead to sin. Romans uh, chapter 8 says that through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And it goes on to say that the person who has their mind set on the Spirit uh, gets what the Spirit desires. And the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So we can have if we have clean hands, we are putting to death sin in our lives and we are following the Spirit and allowing Him to uh, do away with the, the, our fleshly uh, old sinful self and to lead us to act and do the right thing. And if we do that, Romans 8 says we have life and peace. The person who has a pure heart, I love this uh, verse from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. So the person who has dealt with sin on the inside is more likely to come to the presence of God and see him for who he is. All of us are acceptable to God. All of us have standing to come into God through the blood of Jesus uh, if we are true believers, if we are his true followers. But those sins that you cling on to, that you don't confess and don't deal with, those will keep you from entering God's presence because you won't want to come into God's presence. If you're holding on to those things, you will not be likely to come into the presence of a holy God. When we are in the presence of a holy God, that, that sin is, becomes oh so obvious in our lives. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah comes before a holy God and he says, Woe is me. I am undone. He confesses his own sin and the sin of his people. Uh, being in the presence of holiness makes his own sin obvious. But the Bible tells us that we can deal with that. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all of right, unrighteousness. 
So the songwriter goes on to say, this person who deals with their dirty hands and dirty heart uh, is the one uh, who will receive blessing from the Lord. And then he says this in verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Such is the generation, the people who come into the presence of God because they deal with sin, because they love God and want to be in his presence. They seek him. They seek his face. That's the generation um, that I want to be a part of. I want to be in that number of people who come to seek God. I love how he says to seek God and then to seek your face. He reiterates it, and that repetition is for emphasis. And he adds the the seek your face, he, and that is a more intimate, uh, close approach to God. It's an, it's an approach to God just to know him, not to know his hand or his blessings, but to know him personally, to see his face, to understand who he is. And then the psalm ends with this just really epic shift. He's talked about the greatness of God, and then the person who can enter into his presence and how that might happen. And then just sort of with an ecstatic um, utterance here at the end, he, this, uh, he, he talks about the person, about God being welcomed into the presence of the congregation. Verse 7, he says, Lift up your heads, gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And then he repeats it again for emphasis. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. This is a really cool little passage here uh, for me. One thing, uh, from a worshiper's perspective, I think it's really interesting that he says, if you lift up your heads, open your doors, the king of glory will come in. I think that's really encouraging for those of us who want to be a part of the generation who seeks God. If we seek him and open our lives, open ourselves to him, this psalm writer's expectation is he will come in. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Um. Another thing that's really cool about the end of this, it was probably written for or about the time when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the tabernacle, was brought up into the Holy of Holies and into that place. And so um, you can see the imagery here. Lift up your heads, open your gates, so that the King of Glory, this, this Ark of the Covenant that represented the powerful presence of God, the presence that had led them into battle, is now coming to rest in the Holy of Holies. But this picture also just has prophetic um, echoes that echo forward in time. If you think about Jesus on the week before he was uh, before he was resurrected, what we call Palm Sunday was also a part of this this passage here. It, it looks forward to that time when he came in through those gates and those ancient doors to enter as the King of the Jews. And the King of Glory, um, Psalm thirty, uh, Psalm twenty-four would have been sung actually in the temple that morning. That morning, as he was getting on the back of the donkey uh, to come through those gates as the King of Glory, but it also echoes farther in time 
one day when Jesus will return to earth again and come through that same gate as the victorious king who has conquered all the enemies. Um, he, this passage looks forward to him as the king of glory, the lord of angel armies coming to, uh, to, through those gates and to, to rest there, to give, bring his presence to all who love him. It's really a great passage. Hope you get a chance to read that sometime.